Chapter 15 of Dog Watches at Sea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dog Watches at Sea by Stanton H. King. Chapter 15 in the brig. The brig was a small space about six feet square. Its four sides were made of iron plate, in which holes about the size of a man's little finger were perforated. Through these the cell was ventilated. As the berth deck had not an overabundance of light, it was impossible for light enough to penetrate through the holes for a prisoner to read. In fact, a prisoner in the brig was not allowed a book. The only pastime was to walk around the foremast in the center of the brig and to peep through the holes, interesting himself in what was taking place on the berth deck. Every four hours during the day, beginning at seven in the morning, the prisoners were taken on deck and the hand irons removed while we were allowed to wash ourselves. Then we were marched back taking the step the short chain on the feet irons would allow, to our places on the berth deck. The hardest part of the punishment was the restriction in the use of tobacco. As there was no way to obtain a smoke, we were forced to resort to chewing the weed. To a prisoner who has no friends on board, bread and water for thirty days is a severe punishment, for hard biscuit and a tin pot of water are not very palatable. I had helped other unfortunates confined in the brig, and now the kindness was returned. Occasionally I would hear a whisper on the side opposite the sentry, King, take hold of this. Then through the hole in the iron partition, strips of meat, bananas, figs, and other dainties were passed into me by my shipmates. An apprentice took a condensed milk can, bored a hole in the side near the bottom, and soldered the end of a tin flute to the hole. This unique funnel was kept hidden and was used only by certain ones when they were in durance vile. The third day a whispering voice called me to the holes in the forward partition. King, I want you to swear that if we let you into our secret, you will not reveal it when released. Never, old fellow. Good enough. I will be here while the wrestling match is taking place. This lad arranged it so that during the evening hours before pipe down, all the men's attention was devoted to singing, boxing, wrestling, or some amusement on the spar deck near the fore hatch. While this fun was going on, the tube of the funnel was inserted into one of the holes in my cell, and I was given all the coffee or tea I wanted. Long, thin sausages were purchased from the bumboat men, and the end of a boiled one would occasionally be pointed through a hole to me. Hand over hand, I would haul it in. One evening, the sentry saw the tail end of a sausage disappearing. He thought it a snake, and made a cut for it with his bayonet. To his surprise, he had a few inches of sausage. 
The joke was so immense he was convulsed with laughter. He was a good-natured fellow, and knew he was observed by only a few of us, so that he was in no danger of being detected in not reporting us. Sometimes the sentries were lenient, for they, like us, might be incarcerated for some slight misconduct. A man is not a criminal because he is confined in chains or in the brig on a man-of-war, for a slight offense that would go unnoticed in civil life an enlisted man is sentenced to such punishment. I have seen a chain gang of fourteen men on the berth deck. Some were the best men in the ship, but had overstayed liberty or committed some petty misdemeanor. The coffee funnel was always in demand. It did service for fully two years. Then one of our crowd was made master-at-arms and revealed our secret, or it would not have been brought to light. The commanding officer was surprised when it was taken aft for his inspection. I rather suspect he thought it mean of the master-at-arms to expose the instrument that had served him when, as a blue shirt, he had been a prisoner in the brig. We had sailed from Malta and were in the harbor of Port Said before my sentence expired. Again reduced to the fifth-class conduct list, my liberty was restricted. Through the Suez Canal and the Red Sea we steered for Aden, where we expected to spend a week at least. Liberty was given all classes, and as stroke oarsman in the whaleboat, I had an opportunity of seeing as much of Aden as I desired. From this place we proceeded to Zanzibar. As we came to anchor near a fleet of German warships, we were called to get our scrapers and remove the flying fish scales and brains from our black-painted sides. The fish must have made a target of the ship, for she was the color of a speckled hen. For three hours we worked in the hot sun, scraping off scales and painting her. It is only a couple of hours' work to cover the outside of a man-of-war with black paint. Each part takes its allotted space, and rigging a stage over the side, we quickly daubed the surface with woolen rags smothered in paint. Only in places where there is gingerbread work is a brush used. We had sail and spar drill every morning and evening. The executive officer delighted to show the Germans how quickly we could cross our yards and make all sail. As main to gallant yard man, I did my best at my station, and so pleased the first lieutenant. I was tired of being in the main top and wanted to change to some other part of the ship. I made my desire known to the first luff. To my delight, he told me he wanted me on the main to gallant yard, and if I behaved myself, he intended to give me the first vacant seaman's rate. Nowhere have I seen the water as clear and transparent as in Zanzibar. Looking over the side, we could see the stones and sand at the bottom in six or seven fathoms of water. From Zanzibar, we continued our search for the whaling schooner. We sighted the Comoro Islands and came to anchor on the lee side of Johanna, close to a cluster of huts, which was the seaport of the place. The natives were ignorant of the value of money. They brought off fruit, 
chicken, eggs, and turtles in their canoes, and were better satisfied with a polished copper scent, a brass button from a marine's coat, or an old piece of clothing than they were with money. The marines lost several buttons, and two apprentices served five days' bread and water for robbing the sea soldiers of their uniform ornaments. One morning a list of names to man the first and second cutters was posted on the bulletin board. To my surprise, I was listed for the first cutter with nine others who were considered hard cases. After breakfast, the cutters were called away, and word passed for the men whose names were on the bulletin board to man them. In the second cutter were men who seemingly could be trusted to give strong drink a wide berth. Away we started for the shore in charge of the executive and two junior officers. When we made a landing, the first luff took the second cutter's men and an officer with him in search of Dr. Wilson's plantation. He left the crew of the first cutter in charge of Ensign Sutfen, with orders not to allow us to leave his sight. It was long after dinner time. We were hungry. One after another, we walked a little way from the boat as though gathering shells. At a given signal, when Mr. Sutfen's back was turned, we bolted for the bushes and kept on running till we were some distance away. We met a native boy who understood when we said, Dr. Wilson, and motioned us to climb the hill. We compelled him to guide us for fully three miles over hills and through bushes till we came in sight of the plantation. We could see some of the second cutter's crew, and beckoning to them, we were soon together. Away from the sight of the officers, we secreted ourselves in a banana grove, and with an abundant supply of liquor purchased from the natives of the plantation, began our feast. I do not know what happened next, but about midnight I found myself with five unfortunate shipmates in the berth deck under the sentry's charge. Next day we were sentenced to ten days' double irons on the berth deck and to pay six rupees each, which money the first lieutenant had paid the natives for conveying us from the plantation to the boats. My comrades told me the first luff was greatly annoyed when he discovered that, besides the tripods and whaling implements of the schooner which he had confiscated on the plantation, he had to care for a helpless crew. After calling at Mayotte and other Comoro Islands, we headed for Mauritius, and here found our prize. Hauled up a creek, her seams wide open, dried by the hot sun, and beaten by every storm, she was a wreck unfit for sea, insomuch that the captain decided to let the useless hulk remain where it was. I had made a close friend of Coleman, one of the Marines. In fact, he was my chum. As no liberty was given in Mauritius, and there was but little intercourse with the shore, I was surprised to find Coleman under the influence of liquor. Finding me on the forecastle head, he took my hand, saying, King old boy, I'm going to desert. Before I could dissuade him, he threw a rope's end over the side and let himself slide into the sea. 
as he struck the water i was by his side we were moored head and stern up an inlet which was perhaps a half mile wide from our mooring place it was quite two hundred yards to the nearest shore it was raining and the awnings were housed which prevented the sentry seeing the phosphorescent wake we made as we struck out for the beach i knew that sharks had been caught in this anchorage but all fears of such enemies were forgotten when coleman cried oh king i'm sinking now was the time for me to exercise the skill of my early boyhood training in the water no no old fellow put your hands on my shoulders and rest yourself he held on a few moments a heavy drag on me take off your shoes coleman i can't they are too tightly laced taking my knife from the lanyard around my neck i dove for his feet and released him from his heavy soldier's shoes then hauling off his trousers and blouse i rolled them with my blue uniform into a bundle and tied them into my silk handkerchief with coleman holding the bundle in one hand while with the other he rested himself on my shoulder we struggled for the shore now and again he would ease up on me and do some paddling for himself oh the relief when he said i'm on the bottom shorter than he i could not touch bottom with my feet exhausted and bleeding at the nostrils and ears i held on to my friend while he waded into the beach for fully an hour we remained quiet till we had strength enough to wring the water from our clothes the place was barren with not a sign of a house or any habitation for two miles we trudged along the country road on our way to town i tried to persuade my chum to return to the ship but to no purpose he disliked his duties on shipboard and wanted a change as we drew near the landing where the boats were moored i bade coleman good-bye and bargained with a boatman to row me to the ship offering him my blue uniform suit for his trouble but he was afraid of being detected and therefore hesitated the only agreement we could reach was for him to pass by the ship at a safe distance while i swam the rest of the way as we came near the alliance the sentry hailed us boat ahoy the boatman made no reply but rowed on as if he had some business in the bay i lowered myself over the stern sheets leaving my clothes with the boatman and at about midnight was alone in the sea cautiously i swam for the bow reached the mooring chains climbed to the hawse pipe and lifting myself up by the head stays clambered into the head the sentry saw me what are you doing there having a salt water bath well go below you can't bathe this time of night very good sam i sneaked under the forecastle head awoke one of the men on an anchor watch and had him bring me some clothing once dressed i turned into my hammock i almost wished i had remained with my chum but of all things desertion was abominable to me i could not bring myself to think it anything but dishonorable to relinquish voluntarily my rights as an american citizen by deserting from my adopted country's flag we had not been missed the next morning the master-at-arms reported coleman missing and he was booked as a deserter 
After a stay of a couple weeks in Mauritius, we exhibited the stars and stripes to the natives of Madagascar and along the east coast of Africa, calling into many of their numerous seaports for a short stay. At most of these places, we remained less than 24 hours. The day came when we moored our ship at the wharf in Cape Town at the foot of Table Mountain. It was delightful to mingle with people who could converse with us. Everybody spoke English. Again, I had reached the first-class conduct list and should have obtained liberty with my shipmates had I kept in different company. As it was, my friends were men who drank whenever they could get liquor and made every effort to obtain it. It was now June in the year 1887. Every preparation was made to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Queen Victoria's reign. Some of Her Majesty's soldiers visited the Alliance and brought a supply of Cape Smoke, a vile liquor. We indulged freely. That night, when I became conscious, I found myself and four others chained to the stanchions on the berth deck. For this offense we were court-martialed and sentenced to thirty days' bread and water, a month's extra police duty, and the loss of a month's pay. But we were thankful to be let off so easily, as we were told that under the influence of the Cape Smoke, we had struck the master at arms and used abusive language to the first lieutenant. Had all these charges been brought against us, we would have been kept prisoners till we reached the flagship and then have had sentence of a general court-martial. At the expiration of our sentences, we were near the coast of Brazil. One clear morning, we made the land and steamed through the narrow entrance to the harbor of Rio de Janeiro. We passed the conical peak Sugarloaf, its extreme apex, 2,000 feet above the earth, and came to anchor in the magnificent bay, studded with small islands and as smooth as a lake. Here we found the old paddle-wheeled Tallapoosa in company with the Lancaster. The three ships comprised the whole fleet. Because of sickness in Rio, the crews were not allowed liberty. While with the flagship, we were kept busy not only with the admiral's inspection, but every day we were exercising at something. We would be tuckered out from hauling on the smoothboard guns at big gun drill when a signal from the Lancaster would call away, All boats armed and equipped for distant service, or perhaps make all sail. In order that we might land and form the three ships' companies into line for battalion drill, the fleet got under way and steamed outside the harbor to St. Caterina, a quarantine station. At a given signal from the flagship, the crews manned their boats. Armed and equipped for heavy marching, we rode for the beach and landed in the surf near the old hospital. We only landed twice for on the third morning a yellow flag was run up on our fore-truck. The signal was made to the admiral that we had a case of smallpox on board. As soon as this was known, three blue jackets and one marine joined Togerson's religious circle. 
I must do justice to the Marine and say he proved to be a strong Christian fellow, even though he began his new life through fear of death by smallpox. We steamed back to Rio, where within a week five men were sent to the hospital with smallpox. Two of these died. To check the spread of the disease, we were ordered to proceed to Bahia and there fumigate. We had just passed out of the entrance to Rio Harbor when Mr. Tyler, the officer of the deck, shouted to me in the main top, Come down from aloft. I can't come down now, sir. I'm coiling the t'gallant yard rope in the top, and if I let it go, it will run back over the top of the deck. Come down, I say. Aye, aye, sir. I let go the yard rope. The weight hanging from the top to the deck hauled the portion of the yard rope I had coiled into the top over the top netting. Snake-like, it twisted itself around Mr. Tyler, who was on deck under the main top, and tumbled him over and over. For this I was put on the report, and next morning brought before the commanding officer. I told my story, and claimed that I had obeyed orders. It was of no avail. Commander McGregor sentenced me to five days' bread and water in the brig. I was pleased when the ship's writer told me that for laughing at Mr. Tyler when I saw him twisted about in the falling coils of the yard rope, I had not been lowered on the conduct list. In a few days we steamed into the harbor of Bahia and anchored in front of the city, which is beautifully situated partly on a series of hills and partly at their base. We were now ordered to spread all our clothes and bedding on lines on the berth deck. Large iron buckets used for hoisting ashes from the fire room were placed here, and in them sulfur was burned, while the hatches and ports were kept closely fastened. We lived on deck under the awnings during these two days we were fumigating, and then proceeded to Pernambuco, to give liberty to the crew. In Pernambuco we moored the Alliance inside the Long Reef, which affords excellent anchorage for small ships. The large steamers anchor outside and transfer their cargoes by means of lighters. This coral reef is connected with the city by an old bridge. The upper end is joined to the land by a sand pit. All the crew, whether on the first or fifth conduct list, were allowed twenty-four hours on shore. There is plenty of amusement for seamen in this place. The streets and sidewalks are wide and clean, and the public edifices would be creditable anywhere. After every man had enjoyed a run on shore, we filled our coal bunkers and steamed back to the flagship at Rio. Hagen, the captain of the foretop, had been ill and was growing worse every day. He was liked by all of us. Anxiously we watched by his bedside and hoped for his recovery. But he failed rapidly and while in Rio passed away. The paymaster negotiated with a Rio undertaker to furnish a coffin. 
when it was brought on board it received all attention it was the greatest curiosity of the cruise when hagen was placed in it it was so shallow that the body lying in it was distinctly visible above the sides the lid was shaped like the roof of a house made of two sloping boards meeting and forming a ridge this cover worked on hinges like the lid of a trunk our departed shipmate had professed the roman catholic faith therefore the services of a priest were engaged four boats filled with men towed by the steam launch went with the body to the shore near the cemetery we formed into line and marched to the grave of all detestable places none could equal this cemetery in filth the people were buried in quicklime and at the end of two years the graves were opened for the use of other bodies we passed rows of opened graves the soil thrown up on the embankment was filled with bones and skulls and partly decayed human bodies we were glad when the service was ended as soon as the priest had read the prayers for the dead and sprinkled the strange coffin with holy water we beat a retreat to the gate formed into line and marched to the boats before we left rio we raised money enough to purchase the grave for forty years and erected a stone to the memory of our beloved shipmate i was glad that in the funeral party i was not in the whaleboat the boatkeeper had in some way filled the boat's water-breaker with native liquor and by the time we reached the ship several men were put below under the sentry's charge again the fleet was together the trip southward was uneventful the ocean was calm and we kept well out to sea till we sighted maldonado and headed up the river rio de la plata in a few hours we were at anchor in montevideo bay for seven months we remained here the harbor had a warlike appearance as an imposing number of warships of almost every nation was anchored near us for a little diversion we would steam outside the river and exercise at target practice a trio of doomed barrels were lashed together and cast overboard at a distance of a mile we would pour shot and shell with profusion and rapidity to resemble an engagement we indulged in these demonstrations once in three months till our quarterly allowance of ammunition was exhausted the men on the first-class list obtained liberty every other day we became tired of the city a clean well-built place of one-story flat-roofed houses montevideo has its sailors district the men from the merchant ships and war vessels were welcomed in the numerous dance halls on calais st teresa and at the rum shops which were kept by english and american broken-down seamen occasionally a bullfight on a sunday afternoon would create a diversion and at times while at anchor 
a lively pampero would stir up the shipping creating a change in our humdrum existence for a few days at least once we weighed anchor and steamed about a hundred miles up the river to an island where we were exercised in rifle and pistol target practice we must have been on the station about two years when the alliance was ordered to rio on special service the talapusa was detailed to survey the entrance of the river platte to complete the complement of men so that the surveying work could be accomplished twenty men from the alliance were transferred to her i asked to be sent to the talapusa believing that if i could be away from my old associates and among strangers i might then gain a reputation for good behavior i was stationed on the running boat making several trips to shore daily for two weeks there was no report against me and i was beginning to flatter myself that i should have a splendid report to take to my old ship on her return one afternoon we had to wait at the wharf for the mail orderly the coxswain of the boat allowed one of his crew to purchase a bottle of gin from dirty dick's saloon near the landing dirty dick was an american who kept open account for any man-o'-war's man as he knew he would receive his money when we were paid the bottle of gin was quickly emptied and more was purchased i only remember receiving a stunning blow on the head while engaged in an all-round rumpus in the boat and falling over the side into the bay when i came to myself i with others of the boat's crew was a prisoner on the berth deck the male orderly told me that in the scuffle alongside the wharf i was knocked on the head with the tiller and falling overboard sunk to the bottom the crew of a brazilian warship's boat came to our assistance or we should have all been drowned i was court-martialed and sentenced to thirty days double irons on bread and water full ration every fifth day this time i lost no pay but felt hungry while in the brig when my sentence was served the talapusa was steaming from one end of the mouth of the river to the other taking soundings here i had every chance to gain perfection in casting the hand lead all day on deck we were in the canvas apron taking soundings and as our reports were to be put on record we were forced to be accurate at the end of three months the ships were together again and we transferred back to the alliance i felt mortified and ashamed as i mustered on the quarter-deck with my bag and hammock my life seemed to amount to very little while waiting for the first luff to say what part of the ship we were to be stationed in lieutenant allen c kelton u s m c came on deck from the wardroom noticing me he walked over and shook hands with me saying king i'm glad to see you back with us we have missed you this handshake and kind greeting from mr kelton did me lots of good i felt i still had the respect of one man and would do my best to behave myself i kept away from several old associates 
and although I could not join Togerson's religious band, I stayed much in his company and with others like him, and during the rest of the cruise I remained on the good conduct list. End of chapter 15